Let's turn uh, in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke once again. Uh, Luke chapter 11, we're looking again at verses 1 through 4. As we uh, work our way through the Lord's Prayer together, uh, we today, as Pastor Dave said, are going to focus on the second petition or the second request, Your Kingdom Come. Uh, Before we read uh, God's Word, let's look to Him once again in prayer and ask for His help. Lord Jesus, as we... uh, As we come to listen to your word once again, we pray that you would teach us how to pray and make us a people of prayer. We uh, we ask that you would bless us with the Holy Spirit, that we might be shaped by your word in order that the name of our Heavenly Father might be hallowed. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's hear God's word. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Excuse me. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Amen. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. It might seem uh, on first reading that the Lord's prayer is not saying very much. Uh, Here in Luke's account, there are five petitions. There are six in Matthew. The one that's omitted is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Five short petitions, and today we're focusing on three little words, your kingdom come. You might be tempted to think and be excused for thinking, how much is the Lord really teaching us how to pray here with just a few words? I suggest to you a great deal is being taught about prayer, when we, when we realize that uh, the Lord Jesus is giving us an outline of a praying life. But even more than that, not only is he giving us an outline of a praying life, he is giving us a primer on the Christian life. You see, the Lord's Prayer is so much more than simply a liturgical mantra, Lord Jesus didn't give us this prayer simply so we could repeat it off from memory and be done. He gave us this prayer to teach us how to pray, and not only that, but to also teach us about living the Christian life. Uh, This prayer in Luke, as I said, it consists of five petitions. The first two focus on the adoration and the glory and the rule of God. And the last three focus on our most basic needs as citizens in the kingdom of God. So the entire prayer is directed Godwards, orienting our lives around him. And in every request, Jesus is teaching us to center our thinking and our prayers and our lives on God. So with these five petitions, Jesus teaches us to center our lives on the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the provision of God, the forgiveness of God, 
and the protection of God. Five simple requests that orient our prayers and our lives around God. So you see, as we, as we unpack these petitions together, these requests, one thing we see is that the Lord's Prayer is, is so much more than, than just a model prayer. It is that. But Jesus didn't just give us this prayer to you know, mindlessly repeat it from rote. He gave the Lord's Prayer to give us a summary and a guide for a praying life as well as a summary of the Christian life. So today we come to the second request where Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. And in these three little words, Jesus focuses our prayer on what is, I think, foundational to the entire message of the Bible and central to the ministry of Jesus. Central to the message of the Bible and central to the ministry of Jesus is this great theme, the kingdom of God. Before we delve into the the details of this petition, I want us to think about the order of the Lord's Prayer together for a minute. And why this second request follows on the heels of the first request, hallowed be your name. There is, I think, an unbreakable link between the first and second petitions. So as we saw last time, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Father, hallowed be your name. And there Jesus is teaching us, he's focusing our prayers and our lives on this great truth that the ultimate purpose of our existence is the hallowing and the honoring of the name of God. The ultimate purpose of my life and your life and the ultimate purpose of this church and the ultimate purpose of creation itself is the exaltation of the name of God. And then in the second petition, your kingdom come, Jesus is telling us how the hallowing of God's name will be accomplished. So the first petition tells us this is the ultimate purpose of your life, the hallowing of God's name. The second petition shows us how God's name is going to be hallowed in your life and my life in this church and in creation. In other words, if if God's glory is the chief end for which he made all things, then the coming of his kingdom is the the means, the instrument, by which God guarantees that he is going to be hallowed in heaven and on earth. So if the chief end of all creation is the hallowing of, of God's name, then the coming of his kingdom is the means through which God ensures the hallowing of his glorious name. Make sure we get this, that the first petition teaches us your purpose, my ultimate purpose, and the second petition tells us how that purpose is going to be realized. God's name is hallowed when his kingdom comes. And so you see, the reason we pray earnestly, your kingdom come, O Lord, is because we long to see the name of God hallowed and adored in our lives and throughout the earth. We realize that, that God's name is not hallowed in our lives as it ought to be. We realize that God's name is not hallowed throughout the earth as it ought to be. 
He's not loved and worshipped and adored as he ought to be. And so this becomes one of our chief prayers in life. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Because his name is not exalted. Because his name is not honored as it ought to be. We devote ourselves in prayer to praying for the coming of God's kingdom. So You see, when God's kingdom comes in its fullness comes in its full reality, God's name will be universally hallowed. And that's what we long for as believers, as Christians. Our catechism teaches us that prayer is, in part, an offering up of the desires of our heart unto God, things agreeable to his will. And here Jesus is teaching us that the greatest desire, the great priority of our prayer lives and great priority of our hearts should be for God's name to be hallowed throughout the earth. And the way that's going to happen, dear friends, is through the advancement of his kingdom. So you see why I said a moment ago that this prayer is so much more than simply a liturgical mantra. It's meant to guide our prayers and shape our lives and the desires of our hearts. And Jesus is teaching us that our ultimate purpose in life is the glory of God and therefore the earnest prayer of God's people is for the kingdom to advance. It's fitting, you know, we have the, uh, the angerts with us today and as we think together about missions, in many ways this petition is a missionary request, isn't it? And we support the Angerts uh, serving in India because why? Well, we desire to see the name of God hallowed throughout the earth as his kingdom advances to the far corners of the world. So the prayer for God's kingdom to come is grounded in a desire to see God's glory extended, to, to be fully manifested. We long for the name of God to be hallowed by all and we know that the only way that will happen is when the kingdom arrives and Jesus is, is embraced and believed in and followed. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so why, why is this request here? Why does Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. It's because our Lord and Savior wants his priority to be our priority. He wants, he wants to get it into our sometimes thick heads and sometimes hard hearts. That our ultimate purpose in life, our one great aim, our chief end, is the glory of God and the hallowing of his name. And so we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. And we begin with ourselves. And we pray, Lord, rule over unbelief. Rule over the, the resistance that remains in, in my heart to your ways. Subdue the sin in my life. Conquer it. Put it. Help me to put it to death. Let your kingdom come in our lives and throughout the world. So that's the first thing I want us to see this morning. The connection between the first and second requests. Your kingdom come because that is the means by which God's name is hallowed throughout the earth. But maybe you're wondering, and it's something we need to think about for a minute. If we're going to pray your kingdom come, we better know what the kingdom is. So let's just think about that for a minute. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is, is not a geographic region. It's not a political nation state. 
The kingdom of God is the rule of God through Jesus Christ. It is the redemptive reign of God over his people through the Lord's anointed one, through Jesus Christ. So the kingdom comes as people embrace the Lord Jesus and submit their lives to his sovereign lordship. This is why Jesus could summarize his earthly ministry by saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So the kingdom of God was promised in the Old Testament. The kingdom of God was inaugurated in the ministry of Jesus. And the kingdom of God advances among the people of God as people are brought under the redemptive rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And one day when Jesus returns, dear friends, the kingdom of God will be consummated and complete when our Savior comes again. So the entire ministry of Jesus is really centered on this idea of the kingdom of God. But his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom is forever. You think about all of the kingdoms of this world, they all share one common trait, don't they? They're all temporary. None of them last. Think about the great dynasties and the great empires Throughout history, where are they today? Many, many of them have crumbled. My friends, the United States of America is a temporary nation, a temporary kingdom, and one day it will crumble to the ground unless Jesus returns. But the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is not of this world, it is not a part of this present passing age. His kingdom will never crumble. It endures forever. Nor is Jesus' kingdom built by brick and mortar. His kingdom is advanced through the proclamation of the, the good news and the prayers of God's people and by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working to change hearts, opening hearts to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit does this work through the, through the word of the gospel, people are brought into the kingdom where their entire lives are then brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ and live for his glory and honor. You see, this kingdom also does not have geographic limitations. There are no borders among the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God is present wherever the people of God call upon the name of the Lord and people are being saved. And so the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom is eternal. The kingdom of God is advanced through proclamation and prayer and Holy Spirit power. And the kingdom of God is present throughout the world. And so the, the kingdom is... Just so we get this in our minds, it is the redemptive rule and reign of God exercised through the Lord's anointed Jesus Christ himself. And for those who have, who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have bowed the knee to King Jesus, they are presently, right now, citizens of the kingdom of God and are already experiencing its realities 
See, there is a sense in which the kingdom has come and there is a sense in which the kingdom has yet to come. There is this already but not yet idea to the kingdom of God. The kingdom exists where the king is. And uh, if Jesus is with his people as he says he is by the Holy Spirit, then there is the kingdom of God. There his people enjoy some of the benefits of belonging to his kingdom. The benefit of forgiveness, the benefit of peace with God, the benefits of the, the protection and care of the king, the benefit of belonging to a kingdom of, of life and joy and peace in a world filled with, with death and sorrow and strife. But if the kingdom of God has already come, it, it at least raises a question that we need to think about, why does Jesus teach us to pray, your kingdom come? If the kingdom has come, why is Jesus saying, make it a priority to pray for the coming of the kingdom? Well, I want to I, I unpack, and the catechism already did it for us, and I'm going to follow it a little bit, but I want to unpack three things I think Jesus is teaching us to pray for in these words. In these words, Jesus leads us to pray for destruction, recognition, and consummation. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the destruction of the kingdom of Satan so that the kingdom of God may advance. We are praying for the recognition and the adoration of King Jesus, and we are praying for the consummation of his glorious kingdom. So the prayer, your kingdom come, it's a prayer for destruction, recognition and consummation. Let's think about each of these just for a couple of minutes. So first we pray for the destruction of Satan's kingdom. We pray that it will be destroyed so that the kingdom of God may be advanced. You understand, I hope, that when Jesus began his earthly ministry, Jesus came as... Uh, one who was coming to engage in military conquest. He, he was coming to enter into a battle. He tells us in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 12 that he invaded enemy-occupied territory and bound the strong man. He tied him up. He came into the world, as John tells us, to destroy the works of the devil. To fulfill that ancient promise of Genesis 3.15. The first promise of the gospel is a promise of conflict. And Jesus came and entered into that age-long conflict to crush the serpent's head and destroy his works. And so how did Jesus ultimately do that? How did Jesus deal a death blow to Satan's kingdom? Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. By his death on a cross and by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus conquered Satan. And so in his first coming, Jesus bound the strong man, disarmed the power of Satan by making atonement for sin and defeating death. 
You see what that means for the people of God. Satan can no longer hurl accusations at those clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no claim on them because death has been defeated in the death of Christ. But even more than that, if Satan has been bound, and he, that means in, in terms of what John teaches in Revelation, he can no longer deceive the nations and the kingdom of God is no longer Uh, limited to a a specific geographic location as it was in the Old Testament, but now the kingdom of God is advancing to the far corners of the earth. The gospel is going forth, and the, 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 the kingdom is advancing, and people are being brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. But of course, we need to remember this. (coughs) Excuse me. We were reminded of this in Sunday school. That while Satan is a conquered foe, he still awaits the final judgment. Satan is a defeated enemy, but he is still an active enemy until the last day. So there is a real sense in which Jesus crushed Satan's head on the cross as his heel was bruised. And there is also a real sense in which Jesus will fully and finally destroy Satan at his second coming. And so as Christians, we we live in this time between the first and second coming of King Jesus. Some have put it this way, that we live between between D-Day and V-Day. The defeat of Satan on the cross and by his resurrection and the following eternal destruction of Satan when he and all those who are with him are cast into the lake of fire. And so when we pray, this is what we need to understand, dear friends. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are engaging in spiritual battle. We talk about that. We talk about prayer as you know, spiritual warfare so much that sometimes I wonder if we've, if we've trivialized that idea. But we need to understand this, that God calls us to enter into spiritual Warfare, when we pray, your kingdom come. We take up our spiritual weapon of prayer and we we pray that the world and the flesh and the devil would be ruled by Jesus Christ. We pray because we know that we ourselves cannot bring down satanic strongholds. We know that we ourselves cannot build the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God is God's rule through Jesus Christ, then only God can build his kingdom. Only God can extend that kingdom throughout the earth. And so we look to supernatural means, the means of God's word and prayer. Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive for obedience to Jesus Christ. And so it's through prayer and the proclamation of the gospel that the kingdom of Satan is destroyed and people are brought into Christ's kingdom. Uh, through seemingly foolish things. Like gathering together here, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and sitting under God's word. Dear friends, the kingdom of Satan is being destroyed. Through seemingly foolish things like weekly Bible studies. 
uh, through fellowship groups, Christians getting together in their homes and discussing God's word and bringing friends along with them. Satan's kingdom is being toppled. It's being brought down and destroyed and the kingdom of God is advancing. And so we pray that the kingdom of Satan would be destroyed so that the kingdom of God would advance. But then secondly, when we pray, uh, your kingdom come, we pray for the recognition and adoration of King Jesus. Sometimes we have such a low view of Jesus. When we look at the Bible, Jesus is the Lord's anointed king that was promised in the Old Testament. He is the promised son of David. And he is a glorious king whose reign endures forever. He's a, he's a good king. He's a gracious king, worthy of our trust and allegiance and love and obedience. He is a king whose word must be heeded by all. The words of this king cannot be ignored. He is a king who sovereignly rules in righteousness. So you must understand that (coughs) Jesus is not like other kings. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is not just one other great leader in a long line of leaders. He is the, the leader of God's people, the redeemer of God's people, the chosen king of God's people and lord of all. Jesus, we're told, is king above all gods. All the, all the nations and the judges and the kings and the governors and the mayors and the senators and the magistrates derive their authority from Jesus Christ. And all of them, all of them are subject to him. See, Jesus is a king above all nations, all gods, all rulers. He sits upon his holy throne in heaven. So Jesus is a great king and he sits upon a great throne that is over the heavens and the earth. And this sovereign king not only sits on his throne, we're told in Psalm 110 that he holds in his hand a scepter of uprightness and revelation that he wields a sword of judgment on unrighteousness. This is the kind of king Jesus is. He upholds righteousness and he executes judgment on unrighteousness. So this king sits enthroned over all. He sends forth his scepter of righteousness and he wields a sword of judgment. (coughs) And we're told that On his head are many crowns. He's a sovereign, righteous, just, and majestic king who is to be adored and loved and obeyed. But sadly, as Christians, we understand that there are many in the world who do not confess Jesus as the king of kings and lord of lords. We hear all kinds of explanations about who Jesus is, a great moral teacher, a great Example here in America, Jesus is reduced to a kind of spiritual buddy who helps you when things get tough. But he's not recognized as the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. But I hope we also understand as Christians, dear friends, there are ultimately only two responses to Christ. One is to willingly and joyfully bow the knee to King Jesus and recognize him as Lord of all and Lord of your life. 
Or you can reject and resist his kingship, but still one day you will acknowledge his crown rights. Albeit in judgment, because a day is coming, we're told, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are only those two responses, dear friends. There's there's no sitting on the fence. There's no middle way here. One sees everything under the kingship of Jesus. And the other resists and rejects his kingship. But one day will be compelled to to recognize his crown rights as Lord. But my friends, at that point it will be too late. And so as Christians, we recognize that Jesus is king. And that means we recognize that following Jesus means, means more than coming to church on Sunday. You see, the kingdom and the church are often thought of together, and that's true. But the, the idea, the biblical idea of the kingdom is broader than the church. And it extends to the whole of our lives. So that our entire lives, what we do every day of the week as Christians, is brought under the sovereign lordship of our king. Everything, every part of our lives is brought to his throne. We, we can't hold anything back from this king. We are his, his faithful servants. And so this means all of life is, is lived under the reign of King Jesus. And so our prayer, as we think about the Lord's prayer, is that we would recognize in our own lives that Jesus is king. And that the world with us would bow the knee to him and kiss the Lord's anointed one. We pray that he would be recognized and adored in in our lives and in this church and in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our nation and among the nations of the world. All of life belongs under the kingship of Jesus Christ because all of life is for the hallowing of God's name. So when we pray your kingdom comes, we, we pray that the kingship of Jesus would be universally recognized and that Jesus would be adored as king. And my friends, it must begin with us. It must begin with us as the people of God. We are praying it first of all for ourselves. Recognizing Jesus as king applies to my entire life, to the life of our church to the life lived within our households, to our marriages and our friendships and our relationships, to our work and our play. Everything, literally everything, is subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we, we, we cannot just pray this prayer for ourselves. We pray it for others. But we cannot sincerely pray it for others if we do not sincerely pray it for ourselves. And so we pray, let your kingdom come in our lives, rule and reign over us. We pray for destruction, we pray for recognition, and finally we pray for consummation. In other words, we pray that Jesus will return. If you're a Christian, right now you live in the kingdom of grace. You've you've been forgiven. You have God as your heavenly father. Christ's rule has and and is changing your life. 
But you also know that God's kingdom has not come yet in its fullness. And the great longing of God's people is to see the earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord as as the waters cover the sea. It's to see the kingdom of God come in its full reality because when you look out on this world, what do you see? You see injustice and war and poverty and you say, Lord, let your kingdom come. You look out on the world and you, say, you see unbelief and rejection of King Jesus and strife and you pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. You look out on the world and you see sickness and death and sorrow and separation and the cry of the hearts of God's people is, Lord, let your kingdom come quickly. We pray for the Lord to come quickly because we, we know that when the king comes, the kingdom's coming with him. And it's coming in its fullness. And you know, the last promise we have in our Bibles, the last promise we have in Revelation is from Jesus himself. And he says, surely I am coming soon. That's what we long for as Christians. And my friends, the more you grow as a Christian, the more that request begins to dominate your prayer life. Lord, come quickly. So we know that when our king returns, things will be made right. The dwelling place of God, we're told in Revelation, will be with man. There will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. There will be no more half-hearted worship, no more flaky obedience. We will, with our whole hearts, with undivided hearts, Adore and worship God. And it will be nothing but sheer delight to live by his word. Be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. Because Jesus is coming to make all things new. And so when we pray, your kingdom come. We pray for the destruction of Satan's kingdom. That the kingdom of God might advance. We pray for the recognition and adoration of King Jesus. And we pray for the consummation of God's kingdom. And we remember our Lord's promise. I am coming soon. And we say together, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom. We pray that Satan's kingdom would be brought to ruin as your kingdom advances throughout the earth. And we pray that his kingdom would come more fully in our lives. Until then, Lord, until the return of our Savior and the consummation of his kingdom, keep us faithful to our precious Savior who shed his blood that we might be his and make us faithful servants in his kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.